people are going to love it. Shirts, bumper stickers, shoes. It's going to be everywhere. Shoes. Shoes. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get that deal with Nike or Adidas or. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, probably New Balance. New. <laughs> so, yeah. New Balance, if you're listening, get a hold of us here at the Take It or Leave It podcast. We'd love to talk to you about some shoe. And what we can do for you. Yeah, what we yeah. can do for New Balance. <laughs> As a gift, I would give it probably four out of five stars. Okay. As a food, I would give it, I, I, I wouldn't give it stars. Yeah. <laughs> Do you we think should... these were GMO'd? <laughs> is, that your, is that your segue into the topic? <laughs> Moved to the Midwest in the 90s and people are like, organic? Like, like yeah, yeah we, we grew this outside. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got gravy. <laughs> biscuits and gravy <laughs> and for those of you who in the midwest that like think i'm making fun of the you whole midwest i know a lot of people accent. in the midwest are 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 thinking i'm making fun of it. i am yes <laughs> <laughs> even though i've lived here for 20 years right. <laughs> Ah, yeah. Yeah. Episode 20 of the podcast. Yes. Take take it. it, Oh. Leave it. Take it or leave it. Or leave it. Podcast. That one. You're Ethan Wise. Sure am. And you're Nick. (laughs) (laughs) You're Nick Farrington. Yes. Just wanted to give you, I'm going to do really well of, of keeping myself contained. Yeah. So that you don't have to do too much editing. Right. But I had to give you something to edit out. Right. So. That's that. Well, today we're talking about GMOs. Dun, dun, dun. Can you enter in like some sinister music right there? Yeah. I don't know, like some hellish screams or something like that. It'll it'll be your snippet saying dun, dun, dun several (laughs) times in a row. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. But like on top of each other. Yes. Or can we get like the Wilhelm scream? That's got to be public domain. Oh, yeah. The That's why everybody uses it. <laughs> right. In yeah. every movie where it's unnecessary or not. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, first off, I guess it's just nice to be recording together, like face yeah. to face. Because yeah, the last been a minute. three, four, last three episodes we've had to do remote. Yeah. And um, it's just easier. I don't know. I find the same thing like when I was doing that. Um, when and I was. It sounds do- better, too. It sounds so much better when I'm able to use this mic attached to the soundboard because yep. yours sounds good. I don't know. I just, I think my voice sounds really nasally. It's but, hard going through your mic into a computer over discord to me, to the board. To right. Recording. Yeah. But the way we have the sound settings here, like, I don't know. My voice sounds pretty f-ing sexy. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. Like I'm pretty sure most of our listeners are here because of how attractive my voice sounds. Right. It's like when I was doing the Green Thumb radio show and during COVID, we had to do remote recordings mm-hmm. and I just, mm-hmm. I didn't like it nearly as much. Like I yeah. really liked going to the studio and being able to talk to Dan face to face. It just helped the conversation flow. Yeah. 
you know, and it's like, especially over discord, you know, I notice it's easier for us to, which of course happens anyway, just because of how we can talk to each other, especially me. And I know I'm, I can do it a lot, but over recording on discord, it's easier to talk over each other. Yeah. Because or if we de- get a little delay because or, of the delay. Right. Yeah. Yep. So less of that, just a cleaner sound. So I'm very excited that we're able to record again in person and hopefully we'll be able to knock out like three or four episodes in this time period here. Speaking of being able to meet and record in person. For those of you listening, Ethan has no idea about this at all. Okay. But I have a gift for you. Oh. And I've been waiting. Does it have to do with the lines we've been drawing on this piece of paper that no one can see? It does not. (laughs) (laughs) It does not have anything to do with those doodles. So I have had this for a month, almost to the day. Wow. To give you this. Oh, Because shit. I have not seen you since we went to the Cardinals game for my birthday. Okay. So when we went to the Butterfly House, after you and I tried to go and they were closed. The, that was such a bummer. Yeah. It's the Sophia M. Sachs Butterfly House in St. Louis. Super cool. We had referenced in a previous episode. And because we're a... Uh... Members of uh, Missouri Botanical <laughs> Garden, we get to go there for free. So I got this for you in their gift shop. One sec. Handing Ethan a mysterious package in a craft paper envelope. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Whoo. Okay. So what we have here is Hey Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at Hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon, N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) So what we have here is dried bugs (laughs) and you got cheese flavored ones. Yep. Uh, we have dried crickets called crickets, yep. bacon and cheese flavor, mm-hmm. and we have. I thought you'd like that. Larvets. We have the larvets, the original worm snacks, cheddar cheese flavor. Looks like little mealy worms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are we going to eat these? You are going to eat them live on air. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yep. do it. I haven't had crickets in a while, but I've totally had dried crickets before. And are um, they, they're freeze dried, aren't they? They're freeze dried. So I've had the last time I had crickets was, I think they were, I've had two different ones. I think they were like ranch or sour cream and onion or sour cream and chive. And then totally had the chocolate covered ones, but I've never had the, uh, the mealy worms. Mm. Mm-hmm. I got to say the crickets I ate mostly 
to just not be disrespectful to the people who were handing them to me. Mm -hmm. I have just like right now, I have a bad habit of when (laughs) someone gives me food, I will eat it so that I don't defend them. I knew when I saw them that I would be able to pressure you into eating them live on an episode. So I've been waiting for 30 days for this to happen. Okay. How do they smell? Like dirt. (laughs) (laughs) They don't smell like bacon. It smells like a bag of dry bugs. <laughs> does not taste. It does not smell like it's going to taste like bacon. Um, and he's opening the mealworm package now. These are little bags. That's like a little pouch. It's don't be. It's a little pouch, but there's multiple. There's only a handful of crickets. Yeah, there's like seven crickets. in But here. these mealyworms, there's like um, fifty in there. Do we record this? You want to videotape me eating this and we can put it on our socials. Oh, we should. Yeah. That's a good idea. So here we have the, uh, the mealy bug or the, yeah, this is yeah, the mealy worm. The Tenebrio molitor is the type of insect larva. This is hmm. not recommended for people with a shellfish allergy. <laughs> Does not contain strawberries. So you'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, here we have the crickets. Yep. With the, the crickets. Mm-hmm. Contains the Acheta domesticus, Acheta domesticus cricket. So we are live on air recording episode 20 of the Take It or Leave It podcast, and I've gifted Ethan these two packages of bugs oh, I gotta get a meaty to one. eat during the episode. That's a nice meaty one. I'll probably just eat both of them. Mmm. Tastes like bacon? Exactly. Like bacon. Oh. Oh. Should I spare the YouTube and otherwise video watchers the mealworms or you're going for it? Okay. Yeah, I should eat several of them. Yeah. Hopefully they taste like cheddar and not cricket. Yep. So there we go. Got a few mealyworms there. Yep. Nice little chunk there. Mm. This is my preparation for being on Survivor. Aren't you glad we're friends right now? Uh Uh-huh. Those taste way better than the crickets. Do they? Way better. It tastes just like a Dorito. That has been left out for a few weeks, yeah. <laughs> and then dragged around in the dirt. The worms are way better. Yeah. The worms taste way better than the cr- <laughs> The crickets were pretty, pretty disgusting. <laughs> the crickets were tough. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Um, I don't think they really flavored those. <laughs> <laughs> they was just plain dried crickets. <laughs> it doesn't really look like there's much flavoring on there. No. And it didn't taste like there was any flavoring on there. I'm pretty sure that was just dehydrated cricket. So, yeah. Yep. Well. So how many stars would you give this gift? As a gift, I would give it probably four out of five stars. Okay. As a food, I would give it, I I wouldn't give it stars. Yeah. (laughs) I would want to rate it a one star, but that's too much rating. So I would choose to just not leave a rating and add more numbers to their rating. Perfect. So um, thank you, Nick. You're welcome. (laughs) This $7 was some of the best $7 I've ever spent. Are you not going to try one? Uh, I, goodbye. (laughs) Do you want to try a worm? I would try a worm. Try a worm. Yeah, I would. The worms, you won't have frame of reference without trying a cricket. How many did you eat at a time? I ate four. Should I also eat four? Yeah. Oh, God. There's so many in here. Okay. Hmm. It's not the worst thing. No. 
It seaweed tastes. Like, tastes. A, like when people are like, mm, seaweed chips. I'm like, no, that's ocean ass. <laughs> I hate seaweed chips. They are disgusting. This reminds me of something, but I can't quite place it. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what that reminds me of. Like some kind of stale. Sand. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like a stale corn chip or something. Yeah. Very hmm. old. <laughs> Very old. Like these don't seem like fresh. The corn chip that you found sweeping your kitchen and then you it's ate like it. Under the oven. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 That's the corn chip. Does it say when they were packaged? Um, there is a Best Buy date on them, which is next year. Oh, wow. So. Oh, no, the worms. Yeah. Okay. The worms are next year, August of next year. And then the crickets are May of 2025. So they're saying these would still taste good a year and a half from now. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Would you agree with that? They wouldn't taste worse. (laughs) I have a hard, I think it's hard to accept that they taste worse than what they taste like now. Yeah. Why is there artificial blue coloring in these? (laughs) They wanted them to seem more crickety. (laughs) Wow. That was, those crickets were really disgusting. Yeah. Um, I, it takes a lot to make me gag food wise. Yeah. And they made me gag. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to uh, edit that out so we don't make people puke while they're driving. (laughs) Nah, leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Taking advantage of my inability to say no when someone offers me some food. That's how I've been introduced to chitlins. mm -hmm. And it's how I've been introduced to crickets. Oh, uh, pickled pig ear. Ah. Oh, and pickled pig skin. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of chewing. It was really rough. That might have been the hardest thing next to green beans. <laughs> was eating a giant four inch by four inch sliver, half inch thick pickled pig skin hmm. and being surrounded by people that were all eating it and enjoying it. Yeah. And not wanting to be that person. So I did it. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Yeah. Really, really bad. It sounds really terrible. It was one of the worst things I feel like I've done to my body. I'm bummed I'm out of water now. (laughs) Like I had to get through. I'd drink all my water to get through those crickets almost. (laughs) This is a gift for you, but it was also a gift for me. And it was, again, worth every penny I spent. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. So moving on. Moving on. (sighs) Do you think these were GMO'd? Is that your is that your segue into the topic? Before we get into the GMO topic real quick, and we're just going to talk about GMOs very, very briefly. GMOs are a topic that have been pretty pervasive in the news, especially in the last 10 years, even more so in the last few, particularly with Europe getting ready to change some regulations surrounding GMOs because Europe has, has viewed GMOs under a, a harsher lens. And there very well could be, you know, merit to that. And we'll get into that. But before we get into the GMOs, I did want to bring up one correction from our last episode on Poison Ivy. I think I said urichial as the chemical. Oh, yeah. The chemical that causes the rash from Poison Ivy, Poison Oak, Poison Tumic. Mm -hmm. I think it's urushiol. Does that sound right? I read a phonetic spelling after we recorded and I was like, ah. So one of those ways is maybe how you pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) And also speaking of the Poison Ivy episode, Ethan, with that episode post, 
on our social media mentioned my poison ivy challenge, which is real. I yeah. did agree to this. Yeah. It did get a little more out of hand than I was anticipating. I was anticipating. So for those of you who haven't seen that post, Ethan basically said that if we get a thousand dollars by the end of this month to Patreon. So are we saying I would from say Patreon or if it's not via Patreon, I guess we don't have like a Venmo or a PayPal account. They for can the make show. a they can make a one time. Oh, through Patreon, via Patreon. Oh, perfect. To. Then yep. might as well just do it through Patreon. Yeah, yeah. We'll be just easier do it for Patreon. us to track. Yep. And yeah. you'll also get bonus episodes and clips. Absolutely. Whenever I post those. Yeah. Well, we're going to get better about that. Yeah. That's fine. There's some there for sure. But yeah, yeah. If we can make $1,000 by the end of Halloween, then we will test your theory of whether or not you have some level of immunity to poison ivy. After having my extreme poison ivy incident. I like how we're doing this after we made fun of that person who rubbed it on their skin and got, but they did it. She did it. It's very different to try to prove that it wasn't poison Ivy. I'm doing it mostly for science and money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's a difference. There is a difference. Yeah. And I'm not going to unknowingly spread it all over my whole body the rest of the day like she did. <laughs> it's still so funny it's to me. It's so funny. So yeah, we would, and we would just test your leg. Yep. And rub a little bit. I think you said walk through a patch of poison ivy in shorts. That's a little more than I was looking for. <laughs> I don't want to ruin two weeks of my life again. So I'm thinking like rubbing a leg on some leaves. Are we going to cut this leaf off? No. So just brush up against, find it, which would be easy enough for us to find at a park. Yes. And and rub your leg across it. Yes. And, and we will record this. Mm -hmm. If we get the $1,000, we will record it and post it on YouTube and Patreon. Mm-hmm. The before and after. And we'll give some updates. We can post to the socials about updates on that. Because you believed that you were, from all of your experience, and you had you know, said in detail, pretty full detail for that episode of how you had interacted with it before, yanking it out, mm -hmm. short sleeves, no gloves, never got, but what caused it was having open wounds yeah, on your arm scratches. and then interacting with poison ivy. Right. So testing to see if without any open wounds, if I still have immunity on unbroken skin. So do we do a real experiment? Then one leg, no open wounds. The other leg, we riddle with small cuts uh, for $10,000. <laughs> yes. So if there is a listener or listeners out there who want to see me rub one leg, unbroken skin this for $1,000 like, uh, and one leg with a bunch of scratches for $10,000 additional dollars, I will do that. Okay. Additional. Okay, yes. so eleven thousand. How much of must of this money do I get? Uh, you came up with it, but I'm <laughs> the one facing potential bodily harm. <laughs> so, uh, we'll have to figure that out. Okay, but I think I'm getting most of it. Okay, okay. It feels like I'm probably we getting at most least forty percent for the podcast. I could say forty percent can stay and fund the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That seems reasonable. I'll get five hundred finders fee. <laughs> yeah, this is turning into almost like an OnlyFans thing. We do still we'll need to reintroduce Nick the Tree. Yes, we'll just have an OnlyFans page where we just rub plant leaves on our bodies and see what happens from that. Maybe I try a strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> For $5,000, I will eat a strawberry. Yeah. No Benadryl.
<laughs> and for those of you who didn't hear that episode, Ethan has a severe strawberry allergy. I wouldn't say severe. Where's your EpiPen right now? Just to check in on that. Bedside table. Is it? I didn't check last time I said that. Yeah. I think you told me you checked and it was not there. Hmm. Yeah. That seems more appropriate. Yeah. I might be in like a backpack somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> One of my backpacks. <laughs> or someone else's backpack. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to our main topic. Maybe it's in like the kitchen. It kind of looks like a candy thermometer. I might have mistaken it for that and have it in with the baking supplies. You used up the whole EpiPen and <laughs> a cake. I was like, oh, damn, that shattered when I was trying to tempt my sugar. I was trying to make candied sugar and uh, it wasn't the candy thermometer. That was mm. just my EpiPen. Mm. Well, we'll see. Some expensive sugar now. I've done really well at eliminating strawberries out of my diet, so I don't have anything to worry about. Yep. I'm super safe. I'm sure your doctor would agree. None. <laughs> yeah. I'm a doctor. I got an associate's degree, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. GMOs. Googly monster organisms. Let's talk about them. Yep. So unlike what Ethan just said, GMO stands for genetically modified organisms. I think when most people think of GMOs, usually it tends to be kind of in relation to crops. Yeah, I think... Yeah, usually types of food, packages, processed food, something like that. Yeah, yeah, some types of papaya, random stuff like that. But so this originally came up a few weeks ago, just randomly in conversation. We we kind of brought this topic up. Yeah, we had a really good phone conversation about this as we were kind of discussing other topics and just staying in touch. And inadvertently, this conversation that we had halfway through, like this totally could be a podcast episode. Where I was at as far as how I had brought this discussion to the table was from a uh, gardening post on a social media page. And the topic of discussion was genetic modified food. And this person who had made this post was talking about how uh, how bad GMOs are and how awful they are. And my brain probably not with any like proof or evidence. No, I think they were one just kind way of, or the other. Yeah, I think they were just kind of in their world and their strongly felt opinion was that, you know, no human should ever ingest a, a genetically modified food. And my brain initially went to well, a lot of the food as we know it exists because of that. And I, I don't think I have a strong opinion one way or the other. I think it would be great to live in a world where we didn't have to worry about that. But I also don't know how we live, especially in the United States with the massive amount of food consumption. I just don't know if it's possible to supply that much food without having genetic modification. I also think that there are some cases where it's a little extreme, like making food genetically modified to be able to withstand horrendous herbicides like glyphosate is pretty rough roundup ready corn or soy is what you're referring to but so anyway my brain went to as we were having this discussion was well isn't like an apple the way that we view an apple and this was you know kind of something i also took from the uh, botany desire book which was episode one and how we relate to food now and what we know certain types of food to be exists as a form of genetic modification. Like I grasp what genetic modification is as far as like a laboratory created or something, you know, altered in a laboratory state. 
But I also, I guess, in my own brain, my logic also applied this umbrella of GMO. And underneath that umbrella was also the way that we have hybridized fruit. Like in my mind, I also associated genetic modification to being how we have cultivated apples to be what they are now. You know, by hand selecting the types of traits that we want in an apple and hybridizing those and through grafting, like, isn't that a form of genetic modification as well? And that made sense to me. It's like because we have <clears throat> stepped in and right. selected specific traits and done particular crosses to achieve a certain, you know, like with your apple example, and this could be fruits, vegetables, grains, you name it, but, you know, a sweeter apple or an apple that lasts longer in storage right. between seasons that kind of thing. Right. Or like even carrots, you know, making carrots that are sweeter versus more bitter or tomatoes that are juicier instead of meatier, you know, those or sort have of things. A thicker skin so that they don't right. bruise as easily in shipment to grocery stores. And so for me, I guess I've always kind of associated, isn't that also a form of genetic modification? We are intervening and creating a trait that is desirable to us by sifting through these other traits of these plants and essentially handpicking what it is that we are looking for. And then other extremes of that would be like types of grafting and, and creating that. But you corrected me and kind of like, well, you know, you'd said, I can see where you're coming from. And while that right. does make that type of thinking make sense, that is not what genetic modification is as we know it today right. and this is definitely a topic that you are far more versed in than i am so yeah it's yeah your rodeo so yeah this was a topic that came up quite a bit when i was in undergrad studying environmental studies and international environmental sustainability all that kind of thing so it was kind of a hot topic then and still is today as far as food even like you're more prone i probably eat more organic food when i'm with you than I do with other people. I know my mom, once upon a time, you know, before we moved to the Midwest and organic food was easier to come by, it seemed like. And then we yeah. moved to the Midwest in the 90s and people were like, organic? Like, like yeah, yeah we, we grew this outside. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, co-op grocery stores, what? <laughs> Got gravy? <laughs> Biscuits and gravy? <laughs> And for those of you who in the Midwest that think <laughs> I'm making fun of the you, whole Midwest I know a, a lot of accent. people in the Midwest are, are thinking I'm making fun of it. I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've lived here for 20 years. Right. <laughs> so to give a more specific definition of, of GMOs as they're generally thought of today, this is from, and I'll link this in the episode description. So I have two definitions here, one that Ethan found and one that I'll read from the Joint Research Center of the European Commission. So this is affiliated with the EU. Their definition is genetically modified organisms or GMOs are organisms with genes that have been altered in a way not naturally occurring through breeding or mating. Typically, their genome includes an, quote, insert a strand of DNA often stemming from the genome of another species, which could not be crossed with that host species by natural breeding. And then this one that you found, which is from genome.gov, so this is a U.S.-related source, the National Institutes of Health, National Human Genome Research Institute. That's a mouthful. 
They need an acronym. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the NHGRI, of course. I know that one. So their definition is GMO, short for genetically modified organism, is a plant, animal, or microbe in which one or more changes have been made to the genome, typically using high-tech genetic engineering in an attempt to alter the characteristics of an organism. Genes can be introduced, enhanced, or deleted within a species across species, or even across kingdoms. I found that across a whole kingdom. Mm -hmm. Damn. I think, wasn't there, uh, don't quote me on this, but wasn't there something with taking Arctic fish DNA because they live in such cold waters and splicing that into corn so it'd be more resistant to frost or something like that? You told me about that, and I didn't do any research on that. I should probably look that up, but I didn't. I'll look that up while you're talking. Sure. (laughs) And then the rest of their definition, GMOs may be used for a variety of purposes, such as making human insulin, producing fermented beverages, and developing pesticide resistance in crop plants. So that's like Roundup Ready corn or soybeans Mm -hmm. that they can essentially saying they can nuke the whole field with herbicides and not have their crop plant be affected by those herbicides. And a type of herbicide that like glyphosate or Roundup is usually a kill all, non-selective, whatever you spray it on, it will kill. Right. And to genetically modify a plant to be able to withstand that, like, that's just wild to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of scary. And, it, you know, it's that kind of thought that leads people to wonder, and, and that's kind of the stance that a lot of European countries, European Union, and so on have taken, is essentially we need you to prove that this is safe and doesn't have a negative environmental impact and so on before we're going to introduce it to the market as something that people can consume or that animals can consume. And these companies can't, so it's it remains illegal in other parts of the world. Well, so what we've seen in the last couple of years, and I'll get to some articles on this, is that with new GMO technologies that weren't around when some of those laws were put into place, they're finding more pushback. And a lot of it's going to come from the biotech, big agriculture, that kind of push and lobbying. But there has been some push in recent years to tweak some of those laws now that the technology has changed so much. But I'll get to that in a little bit. So just to read a little bit more from the Joint Research Center, European Commission, The number of genetically modified crops and the area cultivated with them are steadily increasing worldwide. In the EU, only one GM corn is currently cultivated, but many other GMO crops are authorized for food and feed use. However, products derived from or containing GMOs are strictly controlled with a zero tolerance for unauthorized GMO. Authorization is depending on a thorough risk assessment and on the availability of a validated method for detecting, identifying, and quantifying the GMO in food or feed. Biotech companies who wish to bring their product to market need to submit an application for each GM launch. Part of the application dossier includes a very specific method of detection of each particular GMO. So essentially, if they want to bring a new genetically modified product, you know, whether that's something you eat or something that's used in feed for animals and so on, they have to show research providing its safety as well as the information so that that genetic makeup can be tested for and detected in those items, in those food items, for example, so that it all can be tracked 
So essentially what they're doing is as they give a select number of companies or products allowing them on the market, they also want to be able to go in later and or at any time and test and make sure that those genetics are the ones that are actually being put into the market and not something else that's not authorized. So it's a pretty rigorous process. And that's part of why these companies are pushing back because it is a big hurdle if you're trying to bring a new product to market and very converse to how it's been handled in the U.S., which is where a lot of these were introduced back in the 90s. And of course, the U.S. has been broadly accepting of GMOs in comparison to Europe. Or Canada or other parts of the world, yeah. Which is pretty par for the course. Uh, Usually most chemicals and products and things introduced to the market. Over here, the U.S. kind of takes a standpoint of you're allowed to put it on the market until it's proven to not be safe. And then, <laughs> which it's surprising be. that our homes don't have like a little wheel for us to, to run around in, in all of our homes. Oh, that's right. We do have treadmills. Yeah. <laughs> and then the European viewpoint is more, you have to prove it's safe. And this isn't necessarily specific to food either, you know, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, and so on you must be able to prove its safety before it can be introduced to the market. Sure. Which Which I like that argument because I'm not opposed to a genetically modified food as long as there has been ample testing to prove that there are not going to be unforeseen side effects affecting how my body metabolizes that and whether or not it's going to create some sort of cancerous growth or organ failure down the road or, or is it who going knows to mess up my cellular you know is it something that is going to is it affected my is it going to pass on from my genes to my child's genes or something like that this thing that we're doing and that could be a dye that's coloring a food or an artificial sweetener or a pharmaceutical any of those kind of things it's like i think that there are sometimes you know i think there could be like good intentions in doing this creating a crop that's resistant to a type of bacteria or fungus or making it more drought tolerant Mm -hmm. so that it can we can extend the growth or allow it to grow in areas where it might not normally grow creating this food source for the mass population that we have on this planet of 8 billion people. Well, and that's one of the biggest arguments in favor of GMOs is saying, hey, we have XYZ crop that maybe it's a rice, like you mentioned, that can grow in one extreme or the other in a certain region as Mm -hmm. far as climate or a corn or a rice or something like that that has a higher yield per stem or per ear So the big argument is for food security, especially as we continue to have more and more and more climate-related disasters and impact of global climate change and things like that. That argument does gain some traction because it's saying, hey, you know, if the weather is going to be getting more extreme, maybe we need a soybean that can grow in way hotter temperatures further south or what is currently not south but will be the temperature of what is currently the south or something like that right so that is certainly one of the arguments in favor from a scientific standpoint i'm interested and i'm kind of wowed by it up to the point where then you have roundup ready corn and Mm -hmm. now it just feels that just feels wrong to me You know, it's like, oh, yeah, higher yield, more drought tolerant, more disease resistant. And then, no, we just want it to be able to blow it up with Roundup and it survive. Right. 
Like, ugh. <laughs> gives me goose pimples. Yeah. It's, like, it's just gross. <laughs> oh, here, I found the from the National Library of Medicine.gov, and this is a scientific article from 2005. Okay. And in it has what you were talking about with the fish. So I'm kind of cutting some here, though. DNA plant technology of Oakland, California, which has since gone out of business, and this is from 2005, was the company responsible for inserting a fish gene into a tomato. Oh. In that case, and in quotes, anti-freeze gene that helps flounder survive. So the, I guess what they're saying is the flounder was the fish that they acquired this gene from sure. to survive frigid waters was spliced into tomato cells to enhance the plant's resistance to cold. The fish tomato didn't swim, nor did it ever make it to market, but its memory lingers as a quintessential Frankenfood that GM critics often refer to. Mm, so it okay. totally happened, mm -hmm. didn't make it to market, mm -hmm. but that was from 05. Right. I mean, that's 18 years ago. Right. So since we could do it then, yeah, hard to believe part that we the... couldn't do it now yeah. and be more subtle about it. Yeah, if they could take part of the genome, part of a DNA strand from a fish and put it into a plant in 2005, safe to say there are lots of options now. What this article, this scientific article doesn't go into, which would be what I would be curious, did it not make it to market because it wasn't effective or did it not make it to market because of ethical reasons? Or something with the company or who knows. Yeah. Right. You know, mm -hmm. was that the the nail in the coffin for that company? Like once they did that, because it said the company is now since closed and non-existent. I wonder if that experiment was like, guys, <laughs> what? <laughs> they were ahead of their time. <laughs> right. They're like we gave you $750 million and you gave us a fish tomato. <laughs> You're right in the right boardroom now. They'd be like, that's amazing. Right. Nothing like a Yukon Territory February tomato. <laughs> Random question here. It comes up commonly when, when you and I, the topic of GMO or altered food comes up, you commonly name drop papaya. Why papaya? Maybe it's just because of my ignorance here living in the States. Papaya is just not this fruit that I feel like the average United States citizen has as part of their diet. I mean, I know it's not uncommon. I'm very familiar with it. I know what it tastes like. I know lots of people do too, but it's not, you know, I don't feel like it's the same as like a mango or other type pineapple, bananas, all these other types of tropical fruits. What is it more, about that a, are more prevalent? Right. What is it about a papaya and why is that so genetically modified? Do you know? Actually, I don't know off the top of my head. I just know I see that regularly referenced on places like EWG, the Environmental Working Group. I've seen it on list too. Yeah, there, which EWG is the group that puts out the clean 15 and dirty dozen list. I'm not sure if we referenced that in a previous episode or not, but every year they take huge batches of fruits and vegetables from multiple different growers and sources and farmers both grown in the U.S. and imported from what I recall. And essentially what they do is they take all those fruits and vegetables and test them for levels of pesticide residues. And then they put out a list essentially of the, if you were not going to purchase something organic, what are your chances of that fruit or vegetable having or not having high concentrations of pesticide residues on them. 
And papaya is commonly listed there. Well, papaya is usually on the list. I can't remember which one it's on. I believe it's a clean one. But what they'll do is they will put an asterisk next to certain things, essentially saying, hey, just a heads up, a significant portion of this product on the market could be from GMO sources. Got it. And I don't know what it is with papaya. I don't know if there was a disease thing or a climate related thing that caused them to modify them. I know whenever I see a papaya fresh in the store and fresh, real heavy quotes around fresh, they look terrible all the time. So <laughs> I don't know if those are the I modified usually ones walk or not. Right past papayas in They're the grocery usually, store. They usually look spotted and heavily diseased. Doesn't look fresh. So for those of you who are interested in this, so this is ewg.org, and I'll post a link in the episode description as well. The EWG 2023 Shopper's Guide to Pesticides in Produce. This is the Clean 15. So these are the top cleanest fruits and vegetables as far as pesticide residues for if you were going to purchase non-organically grown fruits and veggies. So number one is avocados, two is sweet corn, and again, they have an asterisk by that, and I'll read this. So this is a small amount of sweet corn, papaya, and summer squash sold in the United States is produced from genetically modified seeds. Buy organic varieties of these crops if you want to avoid genetically modified produce. So avocados, sweet corn, pineapple, onions, papaya, sweet peas, specifically frozen, asparagus, honeydew melon, kiwi, cabbage, mushrooms, mangoes, sweet potatoes, watermelon, and carrots. So those are the clean 15. And then the dirty dozen or the 12 fruits and vegetables that they found to have the highest levels of pesticide residues. And generally, these tend to be softer fruits. You'll see a pretty significant pattern here. Number one is strawberries. Two is spinach. Three is kale, collard, and mustard greens. Four is peaches. Five is pears, nectarines, apples, grapes, bell and hot peppers cherries, blueberries, and green beans. So some pretty popular fruit and veggie items on that list that are Mm -hmm. some of the highest as far as pesticide residues. So if you're interested in that as far as differences with organics and uh, what you might be able to get away with as far as not buying organic, if you are worried about residues and things like that, that is a really good resource sure. to look at. Yeah. And they have a whole wealth of other resources and knowledge on that site. But so that's that's where I have run across the papaya GMO information before. But as far as what has been modified and why, that I don't know. Yeah, I'd just be curious. Like I said, it's just my ignorance due to the fact that papaya is just not, especially here in the Midwest, it's not like a normal part of a diet. You right. know, when you're yeah. shopping for produce, papaya is not on the the top of most people's shopping lists. Right. Another little bit of GMO information here that I found on fish. Mm. So I guess there is, and I remember reading this a long time ago. I was curious if uh, whether or not the, I was trying to figure out if there was GMO animals spliced into food and came across, I couldn't find any more reliable information on that, Mm -hmm. but found here, and this is from FDA.gov, that there is a type of salmon which I knew that salmon, especially farm salmon, farm-raised salmon, that there was all kinds of questionable things going on there. But uh, yeah, there's a type of salmon, it's like trademarked, it's called the Aqua Advantage salmon and has been approved to consumers 
um, and it has been genetically modified to reach an important growth point faster. Hmm. So it's just genetically modified to grow up quicker so that we can consume it faster. Sort of like the genetically modified fish version of uh, bulking up chickens quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of an interesting, and it's aqua advantage, capital A-Q-U, capital Mm -hmm. a Yep. For advantage. Yep. It's like, wow, it's got its own trademark trademarked name. It's like, what is it? That cosmic apple that everyone right. lost their minds over, which I think tasted like garbage. Which I think. <laughs> okay. I've I haven't be, had wet garbage before. That would so be I, hybridized and grafted. So different than a GMO as far as I know. Oh, was that one? That wasn't a genetically modified uh, apple? Not that I know of. The cosmic crisp? Don't think so. Okay. I do think, though, it was a patented hybrid, I want to say, out of Washington State. And then because of the company that owned the patent, they then would... Oh, they are non-GMO. They would only license it to, if it's the one I'm thinking of, they would only license that type of apple to Washington State growers only for whatever reason but okay. once once I still they thought it tasted terrible i hated that <laughs> thick skin well <laughs> who knows it could have been six months old by the time you ate it Gross. depending on the time of year the skin was so thick yeah well <laughs> that i think that one in particular was bred because of its really long like eight or ten month storage life or something like that yeah non-gmo as are most apples grown in washington state this might not be a super reliable source. This is from CosmicCrisp.com. This is their own, <laughs> this site. Is their own site. They say whatever the hell they want to on this. Right. But their own site and their frequently asked questions portion says, yeah, yeah, non-GMO, as are most apples grown in Washington State, a cross between the Honeycrisp and the Enterprise varieties. Mm-hmm. The Cosmic Crisp apple was classically bred over 20 years through Washington State University's world-class fruit breeding program. Okay, so it's not GMO, but. And so with things like that, and that could apply to GMOs or trademarked hybrids, all that stuff, they have 10 years before that patent expires as far as so within that first 10 years is Mm. where they're going to want to be cranking that out onto the market, make as much money as possible while it can still be licensed out or doesn't become publicly available. So got it. Okay. So I believe with that one, that's why they restricted it to Washington state only for those first 10 years. I feel like I could just be very easily amused. Isn't quite the right word, but for lack of a better word in the moment, easily amused by just learning about this This is even though I'm a horticulturist and I've spent a decade doing this in the field, my, my knowledge really goes to like landscape planting as far as the food part of horticulture, which is also, as we've talked about before, and we'll continue to say, it's like, there's such a massive umbrella that covers horticulture and agriculture that there's just so much, there's impossible to be a know-it-all and everything. And, and food, that portion of horticulture has always been one of those things that I just have never focused my energy on as far as learning extensively about genetic modification, hybridization, grafting. I know enough, like when I'm talking to people about fruit trees that, you know, you would buy at a garden center, I know enough about those as far as helping people be successful in growing those and helping them pick cultivars that will coordinate with each other, like picking apples that are going to bloom around the same time, or at least have it, you know, if it's an early, it's going to end at least when this late season is blooming. So you at least you get some form of cross pollination that's happening. Like that's something I feel very comfortable. I feel comfortable talking to people about pruning techniques and watering and all that. But as far as knowing truly the world of food, it's just something that's, I, I will always be fascinated by because I just haven't spent enough time learning about it. 
Yeah. And I feel like often when we talk about this, it's something that you educate me on. Mm. Well, and I did start, you know, starting out once I got into the greenhouse world, my main thing was growing veggies. Right. Veggies, herbs. And then, of course, with the environmental studies program, that was a pretty big focus. Right. Yeah. yeah my my hands-on experience outside of planting fruit trees for people and talking to them, I was like growing a handful of my own vegetables outside, tomatoes and peppers, you know, that's... Nothing extravagant sure. there. Food forests would be a fun topic to cover sometime. There's got to be some around St. Louis. Food forest. Yeah. Rather than doing, like, say, a public park, mm-hmm. they'll do a designed, landscaped park area, but all with edible fruit and nut trees, fruit and nut, shrubbery, all that kind of thing. So essentially a whole park or quote, quote forest that's all planned Mm -hmm. and everything in it is an edible fruit, vegetable, herb, nut. Oh yeah. That doesn't sound like anything that's going to happen in the U (laughs) S they are. You're starting (laughs) to see them more and more. And part of the thing is it also helps with food security. So you have public access for anybody who's interested to have access to fresh in season fruits, veggies, and so on. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be a fun one. I'm sure that there's got to be one around here that we could cover. Well, if, yeah, if we're able to go to one, we'll be able to talk about it. Yeah. Well, was there anything else you feel like you said your bits and pieces on the topic of genetic modification? I did real quick want to jump back into. Oh my God. <laughs> Jumping back into the European Commission, so this is specific to... You know, why don't you just go back and live in Europe, Nick? (laughs) (laughs) So this was to clarify more on the legal framework as far as how they look at GMOs and how they're introduced to the market. So the legal framework aims to, one, protect human and animal health and the environment by introducing a safety assessment of the highest possible standards at EU level before any GMO is placed on the market. Two, put in place harmonized procedures for risk assessment and authorization of GMOs that are efficient, time-limited, and transparent. Three, ensure clear labeling, and that's a key that I think is another thing that's less common and obvious here in the U.S., clear labeling of GMOs placed on the market in order to enable customers as well as professionals, e.g. farmers and food feed chain operators, to make an informed choice. And four, ensure the traceability, which I had mentioned before, traceability of GMOs placed on the market. So that's from them. Hmm. And then I will also include, this is a paper written by a professor at the University of Minnesota, a little bit lengthy as far as the differences between U.S. and European perspectives on GMOs, political, economic, and cultural issues. So they talk about when GMOs first came onto the scene in 1996 and how by 1998 more than 500 genetically modified plant varieties were available in the U.S., accounting for 28% of the area planted to corn, soy, and cotton. So in just two years, took over 28% of those three crops share area. Mm. So that goes more into detail, differences, U.S., Europe, on all those points, And again, there are tons of information on the internet about this, but these are just from some kind of .org and European Union sources, if any of you want to get into that much more than we're going to cover today. So then 
something that I had mentioned previously was that there have been some calls in recent years, especially in Europe, to kind of rethink some of those rules for GMOs. And I'll link this article from Reuters. This is this is from April 29th of 2021. EU calls for rethink of GMO rules for gene-edited crops. And this is out of Brussels, Belgium. The European Commission launched a review of EU rules on genetically modified organisms on Thursday, opening the door to a possible loosening of restrictions for plants resulting from gene editing technology. Mm. Prompted by a 2018 ruling from the EU's top court that techniques to alter the genome of an organism should be governed by existing EU rules on GMOs, the Commission concluded that its 2001 legislation was, quote, not fit for purpose. Gene editing technology targets specific genes within an organism to promote certain characteristics or curb others, while genetic modification involves transferring a gene from one kind of organism to another. GMOs are rarely used for cultivation in the EU due to long-standing fears of their environmental effects, and some campaign groups say gene editing brings similar risks. And it goes on more to talk about how so are they essentially trying to the opposite. further clarify that there is a difference between genetic modification and gene editing is that what i gathered that are they they're lumping both of those together it seems like they're trying to and i'm sure this is some biotech and and big ag lobbying and such but it seems like they're trying to make a distinction between editing the genome of an organism to promote traits versus adding or subtracting genes from a different organism into that organism that they're trying to achieve something from. Okay, so keeping this, which is like, okay, this is a singular plant and you can edit its own genes, but then as soon as you start to incorporate other genes from a different species, now that's a totally separate thing and needs to be monitored separately. Right. So I believe historically, both of those have been kind of lumped under the GMO category. And now they're trying to kind of create some separation between the gene editing versus the genetic modification of splicing in an outside entity into the entity that you're trying to create some sort of trait for. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Now, I can see that argument, too, of like, hey, like we can start to allow with proper monitoring, you know, edit this plant. But once you start splicing in other genes, mm -hmm. like now, like, do you really understand the consequences if there are any of what you're doing? And so those are kind of the arguments that continue with that. And you know, it could just be trying to distract and use just like with UFOs and UAPs. Oh, now we're getting back to the brand. You know what I mean? Sort of. right? The great aliens. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like that of where historically we've used a certain term and now we're trying to use a different term for the similar or same right. thing. Yeah, it's not UFOs, to, it's UAPs. Right, mm -hmm. right. Just for one because GMOs have, you know, it, it's a tainted topic people have established feelings on that. But if we start to say, oh, gene editing or whatever term comes to about to distinguish between the two, whether they're that different or not, it could just be something like that. Mm. Uh, but who am I to say? Okay. 
So then a more recent article, really quick to wrap up. This is from Politico, July 3rd, 2023. Super crops are coming. Is Europe ready for a new generation of gene-edited plants? The European Commission's proposal to legalize lab-tweaked crops pits big agra against environmental campaigners and small farmers. Brussels, again, Belgium, Brussels is finalizing a law to legalize new gene editing technologies for crops across the EU, the EU's ultra-restrictive GMO regulation, which predates newer technologies, sets extremely high hurdles for growing genetically engineered crops, and allows EU countries to ban them even after they have been proven to be safe. And mm. I don't know how much proving to be safe has been done, but... Right, again, right, right. I wonder how many years just, have to... Right to go buy for that the new law aims to cut red tape and allow easier market access for plants grown with quote new genomic techniques or ngts genomic techniques mm -hmm. oh, say that 10 times fast such as CRISPR-Cas9, which targets specific genes without necessarily introducing genetic material from outside the breeder's gene pool so that's kind of what we were mentioning before the rules are being pushed by multinationals such as Bayer which acquired Monsanto several years ago as one of the mm -hmm. largest acquisitions of an American company by an outside international company maybe ever or one of the top largest. So Bayer, Monsanto, same company now. Syngenta and Corteva, C-O-R-T-E-V-A, not familiar with that one as much, which together control the lion's share of the plant breeding sector, as well as a host of smaller companies, scientists, and farmers groups such as Copa such as Copa Cogeca. C-O-G-E-C-A? Don't know. All I know is this is what... <laughs> You're like giving like a fake kiss. Like, no. <laughs> so it goes on to explain, they argue that the EU risks falling behind the rest of the world and using new crops with special traits that can make them more nutritious, efficient, and better adapted to a changing climate. Pitted against them are green lawmakers, environmental advocacy groups, organic and small farmers, and more than 400,000 EU citizens who have signed a petition against deregulating what they call, quote, new GMOs. Hmm. These Interesting. Groups yeah, these groups say that the rules will further tighten the grip of the handful of multinationals, allowing them to claim patents on crops that could have been attained through conventional breeding methods while threatening non-GM and organic production. They also argue that because NGTs have only been around for just over a decade, questions remain about their safety. And so there's more on after that. But so that is from this year as far as the EU potentially getting into the territory of allowing some of these that would historically kind of be lumped under the GMO category, but now they're trying to create that separation and potentially allow more into the market. So that'll be an interesting one to follow. Yeah, I've learned a lot. Yeah, me too. Learned a little bit new stuff. It's interesting to see what Europe's up to. How do we want to close? Um, do you want another cricket? Oh, you never had a cricket. Do you want a cricket? Do you want a cricket to end the show? Okay. No, after your glowing reviews, I think I'll pass. Yeah. Hard pass. I've been having a, I feel like maybe like a leg has been on the back of my throat <laughs> this whole time. And I've been like yeah, trying little, to like. A little spiky, a little <clears throat> scratchy. Yeah. Get this. And I drank all my water. Yeah. But I didn't want to leave the room. So I've just kind of been dealing with this gross cricket taste in my mouth. Yeah. I think I handled myself pretty well. Yeah. No, you did good. Should we close it out? Yeah. So that's been this week's episode on a discussion, maybe a little longer than we initially thought, but it's such a hey, you wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs>
No, it, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was an interesting, um, you know, it's one of those topics that I think is always going to be divisive. Yep. Um, yeah. And while I obviously have a lot more to learn about it, I know that there's some people like yourself who are far more passionate on this topic as far as where it's going to go and, and what happens in this world of genetic modification and genetic food editing or just genetic plant editing. I think it's kind of interesting, you know, it's like where it works and where it doesn't like with cotton. I think that it's kind of interesting that we that we do it for cotton as far as but we're not eating that. I guess there is cottonseed oil that sure. some people use for frying food and sometimes in the restaurant industry. But as far as like that reason behind it, like, you know, like getting rid of that type of worm that was eating the cotton plant. And so now it's increased, you know, now the plant is resistant to that type of pests. And now we don't have that issue with harvesting cotton for the textile industry. I get that. It's kind of an interesting thing. But at the same time, and I, part of the argument, too, is that the impact might not be isolated to just the plant itself. There could be other well, right, environmental like, impacts. What happened on a smaller level, that insect that was chewing that cotton was part of a food chain mm-hmm. somewhere along those lines. And so what happened to the predator that was eating that worm, you know, because there probably was one. And without that worm being able to be prosperous on these crop fields, did that displace whatever predator was eating that worm? Sure. And then what was eating that predator? You know, if it was a beetle that was eating the worm, was there a bird that was eating the beetle? And what happened there? So there's always this sort of butterfly mm-hmm. effect that can happen in this. But at the same time, like on paper and in reality, it's an interesting thing to know that we can do that to a crop. Yeah. But at the same it's time, it's fascinating like, that we can do it one way or the other. It's, it is. It's something that's very fascinating. But at the same time, like because part of it is just because I'm so ignorant to this particular topic, it's hard to not have these sort of ominous feelings about it sometimes mm-hmm. and get these sort of um, bramble conspiracy thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, pl- I'm going to, I need to be better about plugging yeah. the Bramble conspiracy into like every other third episode. Right. So that when we do create merch and my shirt idea with a dead sheep on it wrapped in a Bramble vine hits the shelves, we're ready for Sells those. Sells out right away. Yeah. It's going to sell out so fast. Yeah. It's, people are going to love it. Yep. Shirts, bumper stickers, shoes. It's going to be everywhere. Shoes. Shoes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You're going to get that deal with Nike or Adidas or. <laughs> Yeah, probably uh, probably New Balance. New, <laughs> yeah. I like the wide shoes that they offer. Yeah, I have a lot of New Balances. So yeah, New Balance. If you're listening, get a hold of us here at the Take It or Leave It podcast. We love to talk to you about some shoe, some uh, shoe patterns for you, and what we can do for you. Yeah, what we yeah. can do for New Balance. If <laughs> right. any, we're only going to increase their sales. Yeah, yeah. Well. Before Ethan promotes more brands that we are not sponsored by, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. <laughs> this has been episode 20. 20. 20. We made it to 20. We did. Of the Take It or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farrington. I'm Ethan Wise. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.